This episode of True Sex and Wild Love is brought to you by Curacao Chocolates. And Curacao is so delicious. I'm Mm. not a big chocolate fan, I must admit. Mm -hmm. But when they sent us these chocolates, I was blown away. They're 100% organic, dairy-free, gluten-free, soy-free, and cane sugar-free. How's that even possible? I don't know, but just try it. You will not regret it. The other really great thing about this company is that they work with farms that are actually helping to reforest the Amazon rainforest. Sustainable chocolate people get some. Mm-hmm. And you guys can use the promo code CSPOT in all caps to get 20% off of your first order. And I definitely want to let you guys also know about the Cococo drinking chocolate product line. And I love hot cocoa with a little bit of you know, cinnamon, and you get the whipped cream on there. Get it. Mm. Go That's get right. it. Check them out on Instagram at Chocolate, and it's C-O-R-A-C-A-O chocolate or CoraCowChocolate.com. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but it's because I absolutely love these sex toys, sweet vibe toys, are my favorite. Now, they're all under $50. They come in really bright, fun colors. And I really haven't found something that just, you know, gets my O. <laughs> so I hope you guys check them out. It's sweetvibe.toysonline. And if you want to have your own O, use our promo code, which is wildlove. Have some fun. In this episode, we talked to Komal Kapoor, She's also a great friend of mine. I met her when she released her book, Unfollowing You, and it's all about modern relationships. And it's a story told through poems and text messages and love letters. It's it's how we do our relationships today, which is why it's so interesting. It's so delicious. And you're going to learn about how to use Instagram to access your deepest feelings. Can't wait. And she talks about some really weird first dates. Oh, (laughs) the weirdest. Check it out, guys. Okay, so I'm very excited because when I met this beautiful lady, Mm. actually, I was Instagram stalking her, let me say. I was an Insta fan. That's the way a lot of relationships start now. This is true. We met online. Okay. Yes, we met online. Things went well. She... (laughs) Released her book, Unfollowing You. Well, such and a great title. Yes. It was so good. Oh, such a great title. Um, and she was coming to Austin and was like, hey, do you want to moderate the the book launch for me? And I was like, hell yeah, that would be awesome. And this was right before our event Wednesday, like a few days oh, before our event. You were busy with authors. Mm-hmm. And I went up there and it was so much fun because... She had like your fans. I mean, you'd be able to speak more on this, but your fans are like fanatics, you know, like they really love you and love the story behind the book that you put out. And it's amazing, too, that you're a poet. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we don't think of poets as rock stars all the time, (laughs) but you what you're doing with social media and how you're connecting with people is just incredible. How many followers do you have? Uh, a little bit over 300,000 right now. And, and she you, just had her two-year anniversary. So I that's like did. two years wow. on Instagram with over 300K. I and mean, you know get what? it, girl. It's not Thank just you. about quantity. It's also about quality. I mean, I just noticed that your your viewers really engage. They feel inspired by you. So it's so interesting to me how you're taking storytelling in a totally new direction. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very grateful for all the readers. And Austin was a great event. Um, They 
Yeah, they really showed up. It's nice. So tell us, because you you weren't working as a poet for a while. I mean, you were like going to school, you were getting your MBA, and this is something that kind of happened, right? You worked in healthcare. You were a business manager. Yes. Tell us about the journey from business (laughs) manager to what are we going to call you? Social media poet revolutionary. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'll take all of that. Thank you. You should. Um, It's been quite a journey. So I was a management consultant for five years in healthcare IT. So I would fly out to hospitals and I would help them implement um, their EMRs in operating rooms. So I worked with surgeons and anesthesiologists and helped them work the system. And I managed teams of anywhere from five to 20 people and was very much in the corporate world, like, you know. And your parents were proud of that. They were very proud. Um, you know, I did the whole American dream. I had the six-figure job, and I bought a house, paid it off, and I was doing all the things as an Indian that I was supposed to do. A good Indian daughter. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I was miserable. I was just so unhappy. I felt like I always had to have this mask on because I was usually the youngest one by a decade in any room, And I was managing people that were twice my age. And I constantly felt like I had to know everything because they're, you know, asking me for direction. And I was always so stern. And that's not my personality at all. And I constantly felt like I wasn't being myself. So you just felt like... You're playing a role almost. You're playing a role. Exactly. And during this period, did writing help you? Were you writing at this time? Was there not time for writing? There wasn't a lot of time for writing, Um, especially in the beginning. I was working. So I would fly out Monday mornings. I would come home Friday nights. I would be exhausted um, working 60, 80 hours a week. And there was, yeah, even on the weekends, we would have calls scheduled on the weekends. I would have to go into the office and there was no time for writing at all. You must have been just exhausted. I was exhausted. I had no personal life. I had really very few friends. Um, relationships were non-existent. Because and I this traveling. is from what age to what age? I was about 21 to 25. Yeah. And people wow. say millennials are entitled and lazy. <laughs> and I mean, I I don't hear a lot of stories exactly like yours, but mm-hmm. but that is too much. It was a lot, but I'm also, I come from an immigrant family, right? I'm an immigrant and you have that work ethic kind of surrounding you when you're growing up. And um, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of your 20s are for, you know, goofing off or fun. Yeah. Figuring yourself out wasn't really talked about. Relationships. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. None of that. None of that. And when I left the consulting world, I started working at UCLA and I was like, oh, you know, I'm not traveling a lot anymore. And um, now I'll have actually time to cultivate relationships and everything. But I quickly found out, even though I wasn't working as much, I just wasn't happy. So being in an office and surrounded by people who are just, you know, going through the grind and um, showing up to work, but not really feeling fulfilled. So when did the shift happen? What was the moment where you were just like, I need something to change? How, yeah, how do I make this happen and when? What sparked that? And how did you dare, you know, as you said, coming from an immigrant family Mm -hmm. and having, being steeped in that work ethic, I want to know when and how you did it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, those are very good questions and a lot there. (laughs) So when I stopped consulting and I was working full-time at UCLA, I decided to, I set a monetary goal for myself, right? I was like, I'm going to pay off. I had bought a condo in Wisconsin. I was like, I'm going to pay off my condo. I'm going to pay off my car. I don't want any debts. And I want two years of savings so that I can explore what I want to do. And at the same time, because I wasn't traveling, I started taking a writing class at UCLA at night. Yeah, through UCLA Extension, and I fell in love with it. It was, was that like just for something fun to do? Yeah, I'd always liked writing short okay. stories and fiction, but um, I wanted to explore it a little bit more. Yeah. So I started writing then, and I fell in love. I took another class, and this is still when I was trying to save up and you know have no debt so I could quit. And um, I started this sci-fi novel actually (laughs) and I wrote the first chapter in the second class I was taking at UCLA and by the time that class ended I had hit all of my financial goals and I was like you know what I can keep upping the like number that I want in my savings account there's never a cap right you keep wanting to save Mm -hmm. more but at that point I'd written the first chapter I'd saved enough for two years and I was like you know what this is it I'm gonna quit I'm gonna take a year-long sabbatical Ooh. And um, I'll write the book and maybe travel a little bit. And after that, I figured I'd give myself a year to like find the kind of job I want to take or right. um, whatever I want to pursue next. So it was originally only supposed to be a year long sabbatical, <laughs> which was five years ago now. <laughs> okay. which is, yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's been a journey since then. So I realized uh, four months into writing the book, I realized I don't actually have the personality to be at that time. I wasn't really ready to be like, oh, fuck it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm going to just write for however long. Scary. It's very scary. And I think especially then I was still so entrenched in my life here and my culture and my parents saying, you know, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. Okay. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. Okay. <laughs> can, I mean, can we yeah. get into that a little sure, bit? Because yeah. so, so often when you make a shift, people have so much to say about it. Particularly I mean, your family, right? And they're the ones that are like, they put you in this very concrete mold of how it goes. And if you're not, you know, mm-hmm. staying within that, it's so, it's almost like, harder for them that you are breaking that mold than it is for you. And it's like, this is my life. Exactly. Exactly. And I think on top of all of that, they instill so much fear in you, right? Mm-hmm. They're well, like, when people oh. say you're making the biggest mistake of your life, that must have been terrifying. Yeah, oh, my God, it is. Oh, my dad wrote that in an email to me. Um, he sent that to me during my last week at UCLA. He was like, this is probably the most money you'll ever make. Um, why are you walking away? This is the biggest mm-hmm. mistake of your life and uh, see if you can get your job back. Okay. So what did you do? Why How did that affect did, you? Yeah. Why did you walk away? You said that you felt unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. What kept you in the face of so many people saying you can't do you it? You shouldn't do yeah. this. It was something, you know, this may sound a little cheesy, but it was just this inner voice. It was just um, me sitting with myself and I would go on these very long walks back then, maybe for an hour or two hours and really think about what my life would look like if I stayed in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I had gotten um, very lucky where a few different female executives had really taken me under their wing at different points in my career. And I had seen how miserable they were. I'd seen each of Mm -hmm. them cry, talk about how 
their high-powered jobs had led to their divorces and how they didn't get to spend enough time with their kids and like let alone pursue any hobbies or passions that they had. There was just they were doing that 60 hour week thing that you're describing or 80 hour week. Yep. And you just kept seeing that and thinking, that's not what I want to do. That's not who I want to be. And I felt like there was something more that I could contribute to society. And um, I think one of the most heartbreaking things during that time was one of my best friends. I told her I was quitting and um, she she's a writer as well, but she does it on the side. And she was like, well, don't you want to be a contributing member of society? And we, I, I wasn't able to be what? friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It broke my heart to that, have, you know. A close friend. Yeah. Not be- understand. Yeah. And I understood that from my parents. They come from such a different world. My dad yeah. was 48 when he moved to the U.S. And okay. that means living with the Indian values and culture right. for 48 years. And I still... I'm so grateful how much he is has supported me through yeah. all this. Um, but I can't even imagine what that's like, right? Like spending 48 years in your of your life in this right. different world. Right. But for a friend who's my age a to peer. not yeah, to not believe in me in that way was was really yeah. what happened to that friendship? Oh, I um we it kind of fell apart mm-hmm. and we actually rekindled it back maybe a year ago once I got my okay, book nice. deal actually yeah and I realized that I needed to prove it to myself and maybe prove it to her a little bit that mm-hmm. I could do it um and yeah I think that's something that a lot of people go through too is like as we grow and we transition and make changes in our lives you know that might be different from others it does sometimes heighten the differences in you and your best friends. And so I think it's an important message to put out there. Like just because you're friends with them doesn't mean you have to be friends with them forever. Mm. You know, it's like, it's so I have walked away from so many friendships that weren't supportive Mm -hmm. and it's friend breakup. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can break up with someone who you're having sex with, but if you're not having sex with them, you can't break up, break up. Like you have to stay together forever, regardless if they're just incredibly negative. Right. No. And you know, it's such a great topic to dig into a little bit because I feel like for women, female friendship is so profound and so important. It does deserve that term breakup and heartbreak and it's yeah. deep, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of my poems um, actually stem from that experience as well. And a lot of people think it's from a, you know, a romantic heartbreak, but there's definitely a lot of pieces that are about walking away from friends and breaking up with um, friends that just weren't serving me in the way that I needed. And it's, it's heartbreaking, right? Right. It's a, I mean, okay, let's talk about how you brought you decided to do this thing. It's such a big risk. It's like, I just feel like I'm watching you and you were like walking out on this really long pier and people were falling away and not supporting you. You did it anyway. Mm-hmm. You got a book deal. Did the book deal come after the social media testing things on social media? What was the chronology? And just my big question is like, how did you strike on this brilliant strategy to talk about breakups and love and disappointment on Instagram. <laughs> Honestly, there was no strategy behind it. <laughs> I wish that there had been. I wish I'd been a lot more intentional. But um, I was going through a lot of um, 
dif- difficulties, I would say. I was facing a lot of failures in different aspects of my life um, when I started sharing on Instagram. So I had been a part of a startup that had just crashed and burned very, very loudly. And, mm, you know, ouch. it was not a good situation. And there were things in my, um, in my family that were happening that I was still trying to work through. And then I had this heartbreak that I was going through and I just had so many emotions. And that just sounds like it was a kind of a shitty time. Yeah, yeah it was seriously. Yeah. It's like the universe just getting a field day out of kicking your ass. Exactly. Yeah. It was a tough, <laughs> it was a tough, I think six months. And, um, I, at the end of it, I was like, okay, you know, I'll just go get my MBA and I want to learn more and we'll see where that goes. And I started studying for my GMAT and I needed a creative outlet as well. And never really been great about talking about my feelings and emotions. And I realized that if I wanted to have any healthy relationships, I needed to get better at it. Mm. So I started um, writing and Instagram just happened to be a portal that held me accountable. So I'm the kind of person I will rewrite things constantly and I'm such a perfectionist. And I committed to posting something once a day because that way it's done. I can't touch right. it anymore and I can move on to the next thought, the next feeling, the next emotion. That's so good. I think going back to that is like you realizing that, you know, if I was, if I'm, if I'm not very good at speaking about my feelings and emotions, then how am I going to create a relationship yeah. that I want? You know, yeah. because if you're holding back, then the other person won't open up either. And we talk about this all the time, mm-hmm. but I really feel like vulnerability is what creates the connection, exactly. which is how you have, you create these relationships, which is also why so many people follow you on Instagram, because it's like you are opening yourself up and sharing your feelings and emotions and things that you're going through. And they're like, holy shit, me too. I feel the Mm. same way. We're like, we're literally in this together. I'm not alone. Right. So powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And oh, I was going to say when I actually realized that was I was dating the person that um, the book is kind of based on. Mm. Desert Bay. (laughs) Desert Bay. Um, That's him. But he told me, he was like, you know, I'm I'm showing you my soul and you're not giving me anything. Ooh. And I realized that I I wasn't very open. I wasn't really open about my feelings, my emotions, um, anything really. And that's what made me realize that I'm never going to have a successful relationship. And how do you even have successful friendships if you're not willing to be open and vulnerable mm-hmm. and share? Because then people don't want to share with it's you It's funny. Either. You yeah. weren't taught that. You were taught to succeed professionally, mm-hmm. not putting anybody down or like generally when we're raised by our parents, nobody's teaching us emotional fluency except oh, by yeah. modeling it, right? So you were you were very you were raised that professional success mattered, but it sounds like what you're saying is you hadn't learned the interpersonal stuff. Oh, that- I was taught very, very specifically that you don't discuss your emotions, you don't discuss your feelings. My dad would say, if you oh. need to cry, go cry in the bathroom. Like, okay. you know, you're a warrior, you got oh, wow. this, mm-hmm. go, you know, go slay or whatever. Right. No vulnerability no. allowed. Nope. So when you how did when you first, I'm just imagining taking these risks, what was the first post or what was it like to start posting this stuff and put yourself out there. So I wasn't really ready for <laughs> any of this. I just, the only thing I did was, you know how there's the suggested friends on Instagram? Yeah. I blocked everyone that I knew in real life. You did. 
I did. And then <laughs> you shut I that just, down. yeah, I was yeah. Like, you know, I don't really want my, even my close friends to right. see my emotions and feelings because this is so vulnerable. And um, I had actually kind of got a glimpse of the writing community because my brother's girlfriend is a poet and she shares online as well. So I'd seen it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I like what people are putting out there. I had never really dabbled in poetry. So I really started um, reading a lot more poetry, classic and modern poetry. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to share, but not with people I knew. Okay. So I blocked everyone and I just put stuff out there. Right. And at the end, I remember so clearly at the end of the first month, which was my challenge to myself to post, I had 3000 followers and I was getting all of these um, wonderful messages about people connecting. And at, to me at that time, I was like, holy shit, 3000, like that's a lot of people. Right. Like they yeah. wouldn't fit in this room. What's mm-hmm. happening? It's a lot After of 30 days too. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really, it was really cool. And it was really nice to be able to connect with people and to be able to be vulnerable in a way that I was unable to do. And so you're, then. it was 30 days post something vulnerable every single day. Yeah, that, that was, was your my challenge, challenge to, to myself. That yeah. is so cool. I feel like that's a challenge that maybe we should do when this podcast release. Like I like that. Like as a part of your brand mm-hmm. and all of us, do like a 30 day vulnerability challenge to where you post one thing vulnerable about yourself for you know, every single day for 30 days. And then we can all do it together. We can all support each other. I think that'd be great. Yeah. I love that. That's a great idea. I'm not doing it. No, (laughs) (laughs) that's too scary. No, I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay. Great. I'll do it it. too. Okay. I actually, yesterday for this week has been just incredibly challenging, like mentally, emotionally, and like physically, and just literally any way that it could be hard has been hard. Yeah. You've been through it. And I mean, this podcast has come out like a month after But yesterday, I have a hard time sharing vulnerable on Instagram as well, even though I try to be as open as possible. But yesterday, I realized because we were talking about the persona that we put on on social media. And so a lot of people see me and like, like you're so happy and you're, you know, you're so bright and fun and positive. And I am. I am that most of the time. And if you looked at my social yesterday, it was like, me out in Venice with you guys and like laughing and whatever else. But like, I was sick as hell. I was throwing up in between podcasts. Mm. I'm like, all of this emotional and personal stuff is like on top of all of that. So I'm laying in yeah. bed and I'm like crying, like, oh, why and so I decided I want to come over. Well, I was also just like, you didn't want to be around. You want- <laughs> Trust me. It was for your own good. Um, and so I made a post of me just being like, like with tears in my eyes, like this is fucking real. Like this is me, you know, this, I, there's some things that I don't show, but I'm not always happy and I'm not always sad either. And so I think it's just like putting that message out there is scary because I was like, oh shit, I don't know if I actually want to put this out there, but I put it out there and I, the response that you get from people just being like, thank you. I understand Mm -hmm. that you got this, this helped me get through my Mm -hmm. day. You know, it's just like so beautiful. We we talk about the downsides of social media a lot. Like we spoke to the sociologist, Victor Corona yesterday Mm -hmm. about, you know, the dangers of curating your image online and, and the downsides and the negative aspects of it. But you got so much support Mm -hmm. yesterday and you connected with so many people and helped them feel supported. And it's one of the stories about social media. I think we don't tell very much. Yeah. It's vice versa. You know, it's like, it's a gift that you only get 
from like opening yourself up to that. Right. You can't receive it without giving it to somebody, you know, and that's exactly what you were doing and and receiving as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think social media has completely changed my life for the better where I understand there's so many disadvantages and downfalls where you can spend all your time on there and it's not productive, but it really helped me connect to my feelings in a way that I don't think I would have been able to do on my own. I'm amazed that you instead of just writing it in a journal and looking at it, mm-hmm. you I love that you blocked the close people because sometimes if you're a writer, tell me if you feel the same way. Sometimes I know other writers who say, I don't care if the whole world reads this, but I'm mortified for my close inner circle to read it. But the whole world, that's fine. That's the whole world. Because you don't have to go look at the whole world in the eyes and say, yes, this is what happened yesterday. And no, I don't want to talk about it with you. Right. So when did you let other people start following oh, gosh. When, um, was, when were they allowed in? When did you unblock them? Yeah, it took me about four or five months. Okay. And even then, um, so I have always been very camera shy and I didn't realize until I got on Instagram. So there weren't ever pictures of me on there and I didn't start stories, I think, until about seven, eight months in. And that's still been a gradual process of being more vulnerable and, you know, Right, right. Open. But yeah, I think four or five months in was when I was like, okay. And how did your friends and family respond? They were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> Who <laughs> are you? <laughs> what? Like, what? Because when they see me, especially who's seen, the people who've seen me in the work setting, like I can be a little bit cold or ruthless. That's who I used to be. And I didn't feel like I could be myself. And um, it's... When I say that I was a completely different person three years ago, like I really mean it. You really mean it. And a lot of my friends were like, I've never, I've never heard you talk about. They were not expecting that. No. I think maybe one or two really, really close friends were like, oh yeah, I can, I can see this being you, but yeah, no. And my mom, oh gosh, she was not happy. (laughs) Mom wasn't happy. No, she was, she was like, what, what are you putting out there? What are people going to think? What are people going to think? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Did Desert Bay ever get in touch about this? Oh, Desert Bay. Yes. He was a follower. (laughs) But he knows that he's Desert Bay, right? Yeah. He knows. He read the first draft of the book. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was righteous. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Can we stop for a second? Because I want you to read some of it to us and to our listeners. Can you, will you do that? Sure. Okay. I have, um. You have a specific passage, or I have my copy. Can you do okay? Great. I mean, I loved the beginning, just the pace of it, and the um, how you built up the romance. But maybe there's a, you know, maybe if you read a few pages of that. But maybe there's a part that I know. I want you to read what you like the best. Okay. Read. So you can also edit it out, right? If you don't, yeah. Are you kidding? Why would we do that? Yeah. <laughs> So can you read us um, parts of Unfollowing You, some part that you especially love? I love the whole thing. It's so good, right? (laughs) I sat down and read the entire thing in one sitting. It's delicious. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sure. I'll read the first few pages and then maybe something from the end. How about that? Cool. Perfect. It starts with, is this how you remember our story too? No swiping, no height lies, no tiger pics, no bio quips. Our encounter was the stuff of urban myths and in real life sitch. Hmm. We met under the desert sky, 
strangers among friends. Your gaze rested on me, too long for it to be a friendly high. The sky turned crimson, reading your lingering thoughts. The sun slipped away, so sly, knowing the night is when lovers unite. Stars giggled down, whispering about our fates finally aligned. I sat staring up, and you, you only stared at me that night. You call not text, and I think finally, I found myself a modern romantic, someone I could even make mine. Or are you just a friend? <laughs> Most people are imitations of their idols, of favorite characters, forever editing their lives to fit an ideal. Not you. You are your own being, unaltered, un untainted. And hopefully that'll hook you enough to yes, want to read oh, some more. Yes. <laughs> Tell um, me everything. Exactly. <laughs> Should I read something from the middle? End? Yes, sure. of course. Uh, maybe towards the end. So there's letters in the book, and some of them are to Desert Bay, and some of them are to me. There are letters, there are texts, there yes. are, it's like a thoroughly modern yeah, I collection want of communications. Yeah, I wanted, um, so the squad texts are in there. I wanted it to be a little bit more real of mm -hmm. how our experience of relationships are right now. And I was just telling Whitney, I want to explore that more because there's so much that I didn't get to talk about, like blocking and ghosting and all the things that we experience. It's mm -hmm. coming up. <laughs> Go for it. Um, but last one. Please. Dear me, do not try so hard not to feel something that you no longer feel anything. The pain may seem unbearable, a loneliness that leaves the soul trembling, a chill that feels like it is here to stay. But do not let the ice set in. Feel it all. You must bear the pain so you know what happiness is when it comes. Because it will come. I promise it will come. Love me. Mm, how powerful is wow. that? Like that is something I feel like people should print out or put it on their the back of their phone or in their kitchen or, or whatever it is, because it's true. Like the pain does feel unbearable at times, but it's not permanent. And right. like you have another day, you have another opportunity and it's like feel whatever you you want to mm -hmm. or feel whatever's like coming up for you and really, truly feel it exactly. and then let it, you know, that's the only way that you're able to let it heal. Right. And so often we try to numb ourselves. We try to numb our feelings through alcohol, TV, food, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And if we don't allow the pain to really go through your body, and if you don't allow that experience to happen, you're not going to be able to accept the love and the happiness in life either. Yeah. Right? You're stuck in like this middle ground right. because you have your barriers up to, oh, I don't want to get too hurt, but then you can't really fully enjoy what life and love is exactly. because you have that same barrier there. Exactly. It's just like re relaxing those as best yeah. as you possibly can. When my sons were in nursery school, there was um like a there was a segment that they did about feelings. I just remembered. So they were maybe 5 years old at this point uh, during this particular class the curriculum when they were five years old was they had a feelings curriculum and they had to create a feelings box, things that represented the feeling, something represented the feeling of anger, right? Maybe it was like a red piece of clay or maybe it was like a pokey 
pipe cleaner. I don't know what it was. And then there was a doll with a happy face that represented happiness. You get the idea, right? And they had these feelings boxes. And when they were having big feelings that they felt like they couldn't handle, they could open this box and look at these things and interact with them. And on one of my son's boxes was written something the teacher said during the feelings curriculum, which is feelings are very real, but they don't last forever. They come and go. Mm -hmm. And that was the most profound instruction to a five-year-old that I needed at the time as like a 47-year-old or however old I was. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to be reminded of that all the time. And your book is that reminder. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. The title is so great. Yeah. I'm obsessed with titles. Can we talk about your title? Sure. (laughs) Unfollowing you. Just what does it mean? How did you come up with it? Um, Well, the experience of actually unfollowing someone who was a negative presence uh, in my life. And, um, you know, when you go through your feed and someone keeps popping up and Mm. it reminds you of something that is maybe going to bring you into a negative space or, you know, it's even the beauty bloggers that you don't really want to compare yourself with any anymore. I always tell people, if you think social media is negative, look at who you're following mm-hmm. because my say that feed- <laughs> again, say that again. If you think social media is negative, you need to look at who you're following because everyone I follow is very inspiring to me. And, you know, every time I see something from you, I did actually see your post yesterday mm. and it made me feel really proud that you were so vulnerable. Thank with me. you. And um, I think it's important to follow people that will challenge you and make you want to be your best self and remind you of these things. So my social media is actually pretty positive. And um, I do go through and unfollow people that I feel like are going to bring me any sort of um, negativity or unhappiness. And especially when you go through a relationship and you have to go through that mourning phase after Mm. a breakup. And if you keep getting reminders of that person when you're not mentally prepared for it, I think it really sets you back. It's like a re-injury, right? It is. It's like having a little bit of a shock collar on. Yeah. Oh, shit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. And then you, yeah. and it's then, okay to unfollow your ex, exactly. you guys. It's fine. Yeah. The thing what drives me crazy is, and I know this is happens all the time, but is in relationships. Like you're in a relationship with somebody, and maybe you have a fight, or you break up for the seventeenth time, or something, and they block you. And then the next day, they unblock you. And then it happens again. And then they block you and then they unblock you. And then they block you and they unblock you. It's like, okay, this is getting this is just this is you're playing a game there. Like How, you're wait, not I'm doing sorry. it. I'm so dumb. How do you know you've been blocked? You try to follow you, somebody and it says you've well, been blocked. Well, if it's like your boyfriend or something, you like go to their their profile. You're or trying something. to go stalk them. You're trying to go stalk them. Right, right. And it says, I think you have to it says you have to follow them or it doesn't show their pictures or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it basically shows them as unavailable or like yeah. as you just know that you have been denied. You just got like elbowed. Yeah. Or like, yep. Yeah. I okay. think if there's a difference between unfollowing to, you know, cultivate a positive message in your life. And then there's a, a difference in blocking or unfollowing to play games with somebody else. Oh, absolutely. Ooh, you know, and yeah. it's like being able to differentiate between the two. Are we playing games here or are we trying to cultivate a positive life? Right. I mean, I know the experience that so many people talk about, which through the lens of anthropology fascinates me so much that people interact, 
curate their lives, put a version, which Brian E. Cole calls your second self Mm -hmm. out on Instagram and then feel like shit. And, and it's because of who they're following. And I think also that metric of the like is so devastating to people Mm -hmm. because it's so ruthless that you, there's this very simple metric that you can compare yourself to other people. So I feel like you're getting to what all of that has to do with love and self-love in your book. What do you recommend for people other than unfollowing when they're just getting into a social media hole? Oh gosh. Um, Take social media breaks if you feel like you're getting stuck or if you're relying on social media for validation. And I know that's really difficult to do because the likes and the comments trigger the dopamine, right? And you get so addicted. It's very addictive. It's so addictive. Do you Mm -hmm. get addicted? Yeah. Oh my God. For sure. You've heard me when I'm like, I'm so mad about Foster Sesta. Like if I use the hashtag sext or whatever, like now they're on me and I'm not getting as many likes. And Whitney's so (laughs) nice that she never says, why do you need a whole lot of likes? Right. <laughs> she just says, I know Instagram is doing that now, but it is a way that we compare ourselves to other people mm-hmm. or to our past performance. Right. Yeah. And it's very detrimental to, I think, our lives in the real world, right? Because you get so obsessed mm. and you're on your phone constantly yeah. checking, oh, did my post this morning do well? And um, it's really, really important to put your phone away. And I hate going to dinners where people have their phone out. I won't do it anymore. I have certain friends where I'm like, you know what, if your phone's going to be out, let's just chat next week. I love that. There's a good idea. Mm -hmm. The the phoneless meal challenge and and the phoneless friend challenge. Yes. Just say to your friend, I'm sorry, I want you to actually talk. Why would you say I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. Why would you even have right. to say I want you to actually talk to me? Exactly. But we have to say it now. We do. Yeah, it's sad. And a lot, I mean, for my book, most of my marketing is through Instagram, right? So right. it's very easy for me to say, oh, no, but this is business. But is that really what I want my life to be? No. Ooh. But then it's like, if it is business, okay, then you have hours of business. You know, you're on Instagram. Mm. I know they have this app. A friend of mine told me about this app to where it manages your time on Instagram and it'll cut you off to where you cannot get on social (laughs) media after a certain hour. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you have like two hours max on social. So like if it's 4 p.m. and you reached your two hour max and you're cut off. And so it's like about managing your time and really going to look at social media or Instagram or Facebook when you need to or when you need to post or when, you know, if you're using it for business or when you really actually want to and you're not just sitting in a room kind of uncomfortable, don't know what to do. So you just look at your phone because that's the first thing that feels comfortable. It's it's like your baby blanket. That self-soothing thing thing that it's your pacifier. And then the other thing where, to your point about the shot of dopamine Mm -hmm. or norepinephrine or, you know, whatever it is that it's helping with, those neurofeedback mechanisms are there And social media just hooks into them in this clever way. And I find myself thinking that I'm going to get something from this that I'm not getting. Meanwhile, whereas if I'm sitting here talking to you guys, I'm really getting that. And yet social media is here to stay. We can't just walk away from it, right? Can we? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Whitney's like, ah! Listen, we just launched a podcast. We're not we're not go- walking away from social media anytime soon. We Wednesday, no. but, but we couldn't if we wanted to. What right. I mean, right? It's like part of 
the fabric of our lives now. It's one of the real places and things. That used to drive me crazy. As a feminist, I would say something on Twitter and people, I remember one time the NRA went after me. Fuck you, NRA. (laughs) (laughs) And they went after me so hard. And people said to me, well, why don't you just get off Twitter? And it's sort of like saying, why don't you just like walk out of work or any other part of your life that's real, right? Mm -hmm. These are very real places where we have real versions of ourselves now. So that's what I mean when I say we're stuck with it. When people said that to me, I thought, how how would I do that? It's part of how I work. It's an extension of a version of myself. You can't just tell me to like walk away from it, even if I'm getting my ass kicked on it. No, absolutely. How do you feel about that stuckness or we're there with itness and the, the change? Um, it's hard. I have a love hate relationship with social media. So (laughs) if when I'm feeling really good about it, I actually have, um, hours like on my calendar to say, okay, these two hours are when I'm going to focus on social media. And I try to be very intentional. So my, my goal is to be able to respond to as many DMS as possible. I want to see what people are connecting with. I want to send them some love and appreciate them. And um, I try not to consume very much, but there's also, you know, there's so much hate or with you, you know, you have the NRA, but I have a lot of people where, you know, they have so many negative things to say. So about many my, people yeah, have. Right, yeah. exactly. And about your appearances and things like that, which I think it really distorts your sense of self if you allow it to. So mm-hmm. for me, I have a really good friend who I tell her like, Hey, you know what? I feel myself getting into a social media hole. Help me, help me out. Remind me what's more important. Mm -hmm. Remind. And she tells me about, we talk about, you know, what impact we want to make in the world and how social media is one avenue for it, but it's not the end all be all. Yes. It's here to stay, but it doesn't have to be the only thing that we focus on. And she's, that conversation is so important to me to be able to be like, okay, I need to step away. I'm feeling shitty about, you know, my follower count or my likes or whatever it is. And that's not the space I want to be in. And Mm -hmm. that's not productive either. So then you shoot up a flare and you turn to a friend Mm -hmm. and you say, can you help me with this? Yeah. And that's that vulnerability, right? Asking for help. Because, yeah, yeah, last year I wasn't able to do that. And when when I finished writing the book, I was in this weird space where I was trying to get an agent and trying to figure out how to market the book. But... I didn't have a lot of creative friends and I wasn't able to be very vulnerable about what I was going through. And it's a very isolating experience. And I would wake Mm. up and I would feel like my whole life is just on social media right now. Oh, Mm. And I didn't have a job to go into. I wasn't working anywhere. So the only people I would interact with during the week sometimes would be people online. And I was very unhappy. Ooh. I I was in a very bad mental space and I was really excited about the book. I'd finally finished it. I was proud of what I'd created. And I just didn't know how to get that kind of human connection. And I still am am working through it, trying to figure it out. Well, it's like a double bind for you because writers were very, we isolate. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to, to create. And um, it doesn't matter that you're seeing your friends afterwards or your family. I mean, you are alone Mm -hmm. those hours during the day in your head, in your quiet space. And then you're promoting on social media. So I see how the risks for isolation for you are so high. And I think it's kind of like a version of how everybody is right now. Like Mm -hmm. 
we run this risk of such loneliness. We've never been more connected and never been more disconnected. I feel like that's the theme of your book. It is. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I think social media is also parallel to dating right now too, right? So with Mm. Bumble and all the swiping and Tinder, all those apps, it's very much the same kind of addiction that you have with social media. And it's so much harder to find relationships or people who actually want to get to know you to actually commit and go through the more difficult times. So I feel like we live in this world where there's social media and modern romance is all fucked up too. And (laughs) how do you actually have people that you connect with? I don't know. Still trying to figure it out. Every day we have to figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I have to say that as somebody who's been married for 19 years, I never had the online dating experience, but um, I was talking to a woman who's in a similar life stage as me and has been married for about the same amount of time. And she said, wouldn't it be fun to go on Tinder? She said, just because like, it's this huge experience that everybody's having that we're not having. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a whole realm of experience that many of us have never even touched our toes into. You're not missing out on anything. (laughs) Let me just say. Yeah. Is it brutal? It's yeah, it is. And yet people meet people on Tinder. Um, I think my friend Deb Kopakin, the writer, who's an amazing human being, used Tinder better than anybody I knew. She was divorced and she just put herself out there. She was 53 years old. She had three kids. She put herself out there and she said, I'm divorced. I'm 53. Here I am on Tinder. I'm not sure if she's on Tinder or something else. And she had so much fun and she met so many people. She's happily married now. And did she meet him on Tinder? I'm not sure if she met him on Tinder, but like Tinder got her back in the game yeah. after a divorce as a 50-something-year-old woman. And I was just watching her in amazement and admiration <laughs> and also thinking, like, this is kind of great. Like, this technology-assisted sex and dating <laughs> seems kind of amazing. Yeah, because it can, like you said, get you back in the game. It can open the door, you know, if you're not taking – I think – if you're not taking it too seriously. Like, I don't think we should take dating in general too seriously, but particularly, mm-hmm. like, if you're wanting to get back into the dating game, yeah. it's like, okay, maybe we just go to lunch or maybe we just go to dinner. Maybe it doesn't go very well, but at least you have a story, you know, like, go for the story. Go, and you never know. It might be somebody that you end up being a life partner with or you. it might be someone that you just had a fun conversation with. Or right. maybe they end up being your friend, you know, like, Let's just see what it could be instead of saying, like, it has to be one way and we have to be so serious and this has to lead to a life partnership with a golden retriever and a picket fence, you right. know? No, absolutely. If you want to get a date, you can have three dates lined up for tonight. Yeah. Dating apps make that very easy. I went on this whole spree for six weeks. I went on 32 dates. And- Wait, 32 <laughs> dates in six, six weeks? weeks. I love, I, was how working. Set, I love how you set your goals. Yes. Like, you talked about coming from an immigrant family and having a work ethic. And I love how you like are applying it to every, take, yes. taking the good from that and applying yeah. it to all the. It's oh, like her superpower now. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely was trying to project manage my way through like dating. <laughs> so I came back to LA okay. and I was like, oh, you know what? I haven't had chance to really explore relationships. This is it. I'm going to get on all the apps. I'm going to the six week period. I'll go on all the dates that you know, I 
I get offered to, which seemed kind of okay. And um, yeah, I would go on like two dates a okay, day. I'm sorry. Sometimes. We need to hear some stories about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's got to be one. Wait, so it was them that how many dates in six weeks? 30. I believe it was 32, maybe 34. Okay. A lot of dates. Which one stands out if there's any? You know, not that. They were all very nice, very nice people. But um, one guy was also Indian, told me about how expensive his house was and how much it was <laughs> to maintain it on the first date. Oh, and I was like, wow, we had to girl. Penny yeah. dropper. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me how much your house is to maintain. <laughs> right. It was uh, terrible. Complain to me and yes. brag to me at the same time. Right. Right. That's like catnip. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And one of them wanted me to call, start calling him in the morning every day to motivate him to write. And I was like, fuck you. I'm trying to write myself. I'm not going to be your babysitter. What? Yeah. Um, that was fun. That yeah. was sounds super fun. What, yeah. Okay, what else stood out? Oh, I have so many really interesting. I've probably gone on over 200 first dates because I go on a lot of dates. 200 first yeah. dates. That I sounds believe. like that sounds like a book title. <laughs> it does. 200 for sure. first dates. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's the workbook. Yeah. <laughs> yep. May or may not be in the works. Something like that. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Tell us, tell us some best and worst dates. Um, my worst date happened earlier this year. Um <laughs> we <laughs> I already like it. I already can't even. I don't even know where to start, where to end. Um, (laughs) It was just. Let's. Yeah, it was. He's like a C-list actor, which I should have just known. I should not have said yes to. But he was introduced to me as an actor and philanthropist. Um, 42 years old. And that's important because we had drinks and um, a movie. Go to the movie. During the trailers, he has whipped it out. In the theater. What? On a first date. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On a first. Yeah. Something was really wrong. Yeah, it was not okay. It was just in the movie theater. Yeah, just in the movie theater. And then, so what'd you do? And, uh, oh, and. Do we really want to get into this? Oh, yeah. We want to get into that. I want to know the details. So he's trying to kiss me, and I wasn't really like, it's a With his dick out. Yeah, no, this is before. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, let's get the chronology down. Yeah, no, (laughs) let's actually discuss this. So um, I wasn't really into it. He was older, so he's like holding my hand, Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is what's up. Give it a try. Hand holding. Okay, cool. (laughs) On a first date, fine. Um, That was a little too much for me. I was like, let's just talk. Right. Um, Personal space is important. Yeah. So we go into the theater and he's trying to kiss my shoulder and things like that. And I was like, okay, whatever. I had like this off the top sweater okay. thing on. And um, he's kissing my shoulder and he's holding my hand. And he says to me, <laughs> <laughs> you make me so wet. Whoa. Wow. Okay. I um, have never heard the not something I ever. I've never had a man tell me you make me so wet. Yeah, I, I have for sure have said either. it about myself, right? But uh, that's usually that the way a lot it goes. If things are going well, yeah, if things are going well, that it didn't make sense to me either. No, he's holding no. my hand, and um, he has moved my hand over. Turns out he's whipped it out, and he is wet. What? Oh no! Did he pee? Are you sweat? Are he pee come? <laughs> Oh yeah. my god, your shoulder got him off. My your god, you got some magical powers saying, over there. What is happening? That man had no respect for your sovereignty. Yeah, and Jesus. No respect for anything. No respect it was for a anything. Fucking movie theater. It was a movie theater. 
theater. First date. I walked out. I was like, oh, I need to find a bathroom. Gross. Where yeah. does that crazy entitlement come from? Okay, I guess that's another podcast. That's Hollywood. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, so what did you do after that date? Oh, I walked out. Yeah. yeah. It was just uh, during the trailers. I was like, this is, yep. That- and did he try to text you or anything? Oh, yeah. he's He's texted me. A lot. Did he like apologize? I don't think he thought there was anything wrong. What? How do you not? Anybody listening, that is wrong. That's not okay. And don't do that. Don't do that. But that's the problem with LA, right? Like you have all of these people in the industry that feel like they can get away with a lot. They can do what they want. Yeah, exactly. Like Harvey Weinstein, he could get away with what he wanted, right? And I think this man no breaks. So shocked that I didn't want to fuck him right then and there. And people oh say Me Too has gone face. too far. Yeah. I don't understand. It's like if things like this are happening, Me Too hasn't gone far enough, honey. Yeah. Um, okay, can we hear about your worst date? <laughs> Whitney, you're on the spot. I don't, you guys, I've been in, like in a serious relationship for seven years. Oh, okay. But I mean, I know it's open. So I haven't really had many like first dates in a while. I've been married for 19 years and my worst date is seared into my brain. What was it? Years later. This guy had a crush on me. We had mutual friends. He asked me out. He was super rich. He insisted that I come downtown. I lived uptown at the time. And he insisted. We, we had a kind of awkward conversation through dinner, but you know, it was fine. And then he insisted that I pay for dinner. Um, I was at the time like a struggling graduate student and I had come all the way downtown. And usually for my friends, I would say, well, you came here, so I'll pay for you. Certainly I would have, you know, split the tab. Knowing that he was really rich and wanted me to come all the way downtown and then pay for dinner was kind of bad enough already. But then as we were getting ready to go, he said to me, you remind, you're so beautiful. You remind me so much of my dead mother. (gasps) What? I don't, don't understand. No. <laughs> it was a really bad date, you guys. How <laughs> old were you? Yeah. I was in my 20s, my, oh, maybe whoa. in my early 30s. Yeah. Early 30s? No. Did he text you after? That or did you like talk to what, him? Like, I don't know if there was texting then, but I was pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would hope so. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, that's just not the move. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> Any good date stories? <laughs> I don't have any many date stories. I don't feel like. <laughs> I need to get out there, y'all. I'm going to start dating. And I'm going to have 32 <laughs> dates in six weeks. I love oh, that. Right yeah. Can you Number. call me after all of them? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have to happen. start a, a vlog YouTube Ooh, series. I love it. I love we have it. To make Ryan part, will come we'll, and just sit next yeah. to me with a camera and we'll have 32 We'll make it dates. part of the podcast. Ding. We can do a date download. Well, I'm single. I'll do it every, with you. And okay. we can like, you know, compare notes, all yes. of that. Yes. And I'm whoever's so our guest who can just be put in the hot seat for one minute every time at the beginning when you do your date download and they have to say something about it. Just a concept. Ooh, done. Okay. I like this. I'd tune in. I'm in. You'll tune in for that? Date team. Everybody Watch needs out, to, world. <laughs> everybody needs to tune in. We have to wrap up. But oh. Everybody needs to tune into this book. Thank Unfollowing you. Unfollowing you. you. And yes. check her out on Instagram because not only does she have amazing quotes, but you also pair them with incredible illustrations. I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We Thank didn't even you. talk about how that's the beauty of social media for a writer. You taught me that. I didn't really know that. Like, just pairing the image with the words is so powerful. Thank you. I think 
I've always loved art. It evokes a lot of emotions and why not, right? Why yeah. not? So how can people keep up with you and what's what are you excited about coming up? Um, Instagram is the best way, Komalesque. And um, I'm actually working on a journal to accompany the book. So it's the Heartbreak Edition. Yes. And hopefully it'll help some people uh, feel less alone and help them through heartbreak. Mm. Coming up. I soon. love that. Thank As you. you're Yay. already doing. Thanks for being here with us, Komala. It was incredible to meet you. Thank you for having me. You two are a ball. And I can't. Aww. I want to hear all about the dates. All right. Get ready. Awesome. <laughs> get get ready. ready. <laughs> we'll be on speed dial. Yes. <laughs>